It's uh, nice for me to be here to say good morning to you. And I, and I must say, it's just nice to be able to look out as the offering goes around and, and just smile at people uh, because it means we're part of a family together. Now, I, I don't want to get into trouble with the English teachers this morning, um, and so I'm going to be careful how I start, but I've never seen this play, but I understand there's a famous play called Waiting for Godot, which uh, I know, as I've spoken to some tricks who've done it, is confusing. I also know from other people that it is long, morose, tedious, but it's still a good play, whatever that means. It was written by a man called Samuel Beckett, and it's basically a long, unbroken exposure to two tramps sitting in a bleak place on a log waiting for Godot, and Godot never appears in the play. Other people come and go, but essentially the whole of the play is a monologue between, or a dialogue between these two tramps who are waiting, and they talk about life, and they long for something better and something more, and they hope in their hearts that Godot, perhaps, when he comes, will bring it to them. But they also are troubled with the idea that if Godot does show up, will they recognize him when he gets there? He doesn't show up in the play, and so they continue simply to wait because they don't know what they should do while they're waiting and they fear they won't know what to do when Godot arrives. It feels to me like so many people in the world have that kind of relationship, a long, senseless waiting for God to arrive and then having the fear that when God does arrive, Either he's going to tell us things we don't want to hear, or we are not going to be able to recognize him when he does. That happened. That happened. That happened to many people who were waiting for Jesus. It is a great parable of not only the people that were waiting at that first Christmas, but, but even today. It's three days, eh? When you're a grandparent, you kind of lose count. I know that when you're young, you know exactly how many days, how many sleeps, how many hours, until 5 a.m. on Christmas morning, you know, because you're waiting. It's Advent. It is the time of waiting. And the truth is, we spend a lot of our time waiting, don't we? We do spend an enormous amount of time in all sorts of areas of life waiting for that next big thing or that next wonderful thing or that next stage in life. It's a reality. And it's no different when we are God's people. We spend time waiting. Now there's all sorts of different ways of waiting aren't there. There's the husbands, <sighs> Woolworths wait. <sighs> I 
Not passive aggressive at all, but we know that kind of waiting. There's also the children's Christmas day wait, isn't there? I remember I had it waxed. I knew that if I went to bed early, I'd be asleep and so Christmas morning would come quicker. I knew it, but then I was so excited when I went to bed and I had so many of my cousins with me that then couldn't go to sleep and so <sighs> there's that kind of waiting. It's all waiting, but it's all different. And most of the time, the difference is not out there, it's in here. The difference is not out there in the waiting. The difference is in here. And the truth is we as God's people are called to a different kind of waiting. There's so many wonderful things we are waiting for. We are waiting for our Savior right now. We are celebrating that. As believers, we, we believe that we must wait for his death. We must wait for his resurrection. We must wait for his ascension. We must wait for his second coming. We must wait. We must wait for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We must wait. And the truth is, that how we wait is actually incredibly important. How we wait is not just incredibly important for us and our own spiritual growth and development, but the world around us watches how we wait. I often wonder about those husbands, those Woolworths waiting husbands. Are they the problem or is the person they are waiting for the problem? Well, I never know. But boy, they're always so grumpy. And the only person that you could really blame for that isn't the person they're waiting for. Because they've chosen to be there and to wait. As followers of Jesus, I really think it's incredibly important to wait well whenever we wait. And especially at this time of year. You know, almost everybody celebrates Christmas. Yesterday I was in one of my favorite shops in all of Durban. It's called Amina's Spice World. It is amazing. They sell about 15 different kinds of dates. I, I love that shop. You can guess, it is a Muslim shop. From the moment you walk in to the moment you walk out, but when I was there, what were they talking about? Christmas. You see, it's so easy for us to get grumpy in our waiting for Christmas for all the other people that are also waiting for Christmas and complain and say they're not doing it right and they're not greeting us in the right way and they're not this and they're not that. Instead of just waiting the way we ought to wait, not for them, because we're not waiting for them. If instead we show love as we wait, instead if we show joy, well, you know what? I want us this morning to look at two remarkable women who were waiting. Two completely different people with completely different circumstances, with completely different lives, with completely different backgrounds as they waited for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus Christ. We could learn so much, not just in our waiting for, for Christmas, but in all of our Christian waiting for the, from these two women. The first woman is Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. A young woman, by all accounts. Very young. 
in her culture, probably somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. We don't know for sure, but she was young. And one day, an angel appears to her. And the story unfolds as follows. Luke chapter one, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will not end. Mary said to the angel, how could this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you and for that reason the holy child shall be called the son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. <laughs> she's 14, she's 15. I don't know if she was excited about her engagement. We don't know her circumstances, whether whether her and Joseph even knew each other well and had perhaps fallen in love or, or that it was a completely arranged marriage, we don't know. But I imagine she must have been excited about her coming wedding. By all accounts, Joseph was a good man. And so here was a young lady who probably in her environment found herself in a good place. She was engaged to a good guy. He was a carpenter, so he had a job. And then this. I, I, I want us to try imagine for a moment what that felt like to her. When she sees an angel. I'm sure that much of Mary's waiting was waiting in confusion. I mean, she's even immediately confused, obviously. You see an angel, the angel tells you that God thinks you are very special and that he's gonna do something wonderful for and with you. And then the angel says you're gonna have a baby and he's going to be called the son of God. She must have been so confused. And so she reverts to absolute practicality in that moment. She doesn't want to have a theological debate with the angel about, you know, how is it that the, her practicality is this. I'm a virgin. There's no way I can be pregnant. And the angel says, well, actually you are. Can you imagine how confused she was? And I'm sure she had those moments where she got it back together again and then she lost it and then she got it back together again. But you see, even, 
even somebody who is so godly that they get chosen to bring up Jesus, to be Jesus' parent. I often wonder if it would have been, it must have been harder to be Jesus' parent than Jesus' mother or father, if you understand what I'm saying. If, if you're that person and yet, she must have just been confused. And I don't think when we are waiting for God that confusion is a sin for us. Sometimes we just don't know what God is doing. Sometimes it's beyond our comprehension. And so it's okay sometimes when we are waiting for God to do something to be confused. I think that a lot of Mary's waiting was not just in confusion. A lot of her waiting was in fear too. She in fact says it. The angel says to her, do not be afraid. It's amazing how often that is said. Imagine that. An angel appears to you. Don't be afraid afraid. I don't think that his don't be afraid just referred to this moment you're seeing an angel. I think it referred to the whole deal. She, she was going to have a baby, which should fill anybody with terror. It's pretty much why women get to do it and men don't because you're braver than we are. Can you imagine the times where she wondered whether she was going to survive the birth. In, in her environment, that was a very real thing. Whether she was gonna have the right family support around her, and, and I'm glad to say that if you read the scripture, she did have good family support around her. Her aunt Elizabeth looked after her, and, and, and she did. But besides the natural fear that any young person would have in that cir- set of circumstances, there's the whole thing of God's son. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed with fear. And I think God's okay with that. Because often he says to people, fear not. None of the angels ever say to people, oh, I see you're afraid, sorry, I'm gonna have to move on to somebody who's not afraid. That never happens. The angel reassures Mary There is no doubt that much of Mary's waiting was in shame as well. She had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. Nobody believed her story. Nobody believed her story. How could they? People who claim those kinds of things these days get put out of society. Joseph himself is given a dream by God. To say to him, it's okay, we can go through with this. But the rest of the family, we have no record of them getting the dream. The rest of society. Sometimes we have to just wait for something we know God is gonna do even when nobody else understands it or even believes it. We as Christians often get defensive, don't we? No, I'm, I'm right, I'm right. I'm right. I have also no doubt that much of her waiting was in wonder. Remember when we waited for our kids, the wonder of it. As you started listening to the heartbeat. As you started feeling movement. 
as you started trying to decide names, well, in this case, it was already a given, but all of that. Can you imagine this young woman looking at her belly and going, the most high, he will save his people. Wow. When last were you in a set of circumstances waiting for God to do something that you didn't understand or were afraid of and just said, wow, God, thank you. Wow, God, that you actually connect with me and bring me in on things and say, something great is going to happen. She waited in wonder. But she also waited in pain. There were no epidurals. She had to give birth to that baby. And nowhere does it say that she's not gonna have pain because it's the son of God. She would have had to feed him, and that can be painful. She had to put him in a manger. Oh, my child, I wish I could do more for you, but this is all I can do. That pain of not being able to give a child everything you want to. But I'm also absolutely sure that she waited in joy because she says it, she says it. You see, so often we think my waiting's only gonna be good if I've got it all together, if I know what's gonna go happen, and I'm a good Christian the whole way through, and I'm not afraid, and I'm not confused, and I'm not filled with shame, and, and, and I don't have happiness one day and sadness the other. Well, apparently it's not like that. Apparently, the mother of Jesus didn't just feel one marvelous sense of waiting. It was all of the things that you and I experience. I think one of the blessings for her was that it was quite a short waiting. It was 40 weeks. I don't know if Jesus was prim or late. We don't know. It was about 40 weeks. But there's another story that's around the Christmas story of a much more a much different waiting. Another woman who we know very little about. You're gonna get a few biographic details now, but her waiting wasn't a quick waiting. It was a long, long waiting. We read about her in Luke chapter two, verse 36 to 38. Her name was Anna, and this is what it says. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this happens eight days after Jesus is born. Jesus is brought to the temple by his parents to be circumcised because they wanted to keep the law. And so, so they come and they present him and in the temple they encounter two particular people that we're told about. The one was, was, a, was an old man um, and his story comes a bit before this but then there was this woman, this lady, Anna. And she had been waiting 
84 years. Now, some scholars, they argue whether she was 84 years old or whether she'd waited 84 years after her husband died. It doesn't matter. When it's that many years, give or take seven or 10, it doesn't make a lot of difference. 84 years Anna had been waiting. Mary knew exactly what she was waiting for. She was waiting for a baby, an actual, real, physical baby. Anna just knew she was waiting for the Messiah. She was waiting for the king who would come. She, she, she didn't have a clear picture in her mind of what he was going to look like or be like or how it was going to unfold. Imagine waiting like that. I don't know about you, but I'm much better at waiting when it's specific. When it's kind of nebulous, I don't do well. I wanna get clues. But there is no doubt that this woman had incredible endurance. She waited with endurance. The Bible tells us that she was waiting every single day in the temple for at least 84 years. Well, maybe a bit less, but what difference does that make? She waited and she waited. I don't know what you're waiting for. Christmas itself, I know if you're young, it feels like it's months away, it isn't. It's only three days away. It's coming soon. But there may be other things that you have been waiting for God to do maybe for your children, maybe for your parents, maybe in your finances, I don't know what, and maybe you've waited for, and waited and waited and waited. She waited with endurance. Unlike Mary, I think she did a lot of her waiting alone. It tells us that she was a widow, so she didn't have a husband to help her. And not only that, even in the temple, she would have been away from a lot of the main activity, even though she was a prophet. It says quite clearly she was a prophet, but because she was a woman, there were parts of the temple that she just simply wasn't gonna be allowed to go into. I'm also pretty sure, given what we know about how Judaism worked in the time of Jesus, that a woman who was a prophetess, in other words, spoke the word of God, probably wasn't well liked by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't like competition, especially from somebody who they would regularly thank God that they were not a goyim, a dog, or a woman. She did this on her own. She waited not only on her own, but she waited in simplicity. Every day she went to the temple and she fasted, and it would seem from the way it said, fastings, that there were different ways she fasted on different days, we don't know the details, and she prayed. She didn't go there to try and make a big deal of herself. She didn't go there, she was a prophetess, but it doesn't talk about her prophecies because that obviously wasn't a big deal for her. The big deal was the fastings and the prayings. I think so often we think that we are less significant in our waitings for God because we don't have some high office or we're not some important person. We are just ordinary. 
But Anna teaches us that there is a depth of waiting in simplicity for God. Here I am, God, please pitch up. Boy, and she waited with commitment. She waited with commitment. Lord, I know you're coming, and I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here every single day waiting for you. We're not good at that kind of commitment, are we? I don't know about you, I'm not. Lord, I'm gonna wait as long as it takes. It's been a whole two days, Lord. It's been a whole week. It's been a whole month. What two amazing women. What two magnificent women. What two very completely different stories. But stories that tell us the same thing. That it doesn't matter what our circumstances are, no matter who we are, these two women waiting can teach us so much about our own waiting for God, our own waiting for Jesus. Listen to the key to both of these women's stories. Listen to this. Luke 1 verse 38, now Mary's been told all of this. She's been told what's gonna happen and this is how she responds in Luke 1 38 and Mary said, behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. Wow. What a response. I just, folks, just picture it, 15 years old, just being told, just seen an angel, just being told you're gonna get pregnant magically and you're gonna have the savior. <laughs> and what is her response? Okay. But I wanna tell you that it's not even a resounder okay. It's not even a, well, God, you are more powerful than me and I can do nothing about that. She chooses a very particular word to refer to herself. She uses the word bond slave. She says, you know what, I am your bond slave. There were two kinds of slaves in Jesus' day. There were regular slaves, which were people that were slaves because they had debt, because they'd been bought and they didn't have any rights, they were just slaves. And then there were bond slaves, and bond slaves were people who after their slavery had ended, after their period of slavery had ended and, and jubilee had come, and they were let free by their masters, chose to remain slaves to that master. And they usually did it because they had such a good master that they said, you know, my life as a slave under you is better than my life in freedom. And that's what a bond slave is. Paul refers to himself as a bond slave. I'm, not, I'm doing this because, not because I'm being forced to do it, but because I want to do it. And there was a special ceremony that the bond slave underwent. The master took them to the door of the house and drilled a hole in their ear. They pierced their ear into the doorpost. And so you could recognize a bond slave because they'd walk around with an earring in their ear so that people would know they were bond slaves. And that's what Mary says about herself. She's not the husband waiting at Woolworths. She's the child waiting for Christmas. 
She's going, I know this is gonna be hard. I, I know I'm confused, I know, I know, but I am the bond slave of Jesus. I also love the reaction of Anna. Listen to what it says. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You would think that she would sit down and say, Mary, can I spend time talking to you? Can I spend time with the Messiah? Can I, I've been waiting all my life. You know, let's for a moment make this about me. Can I hold the baby, please? Maybe she did, I don't know. But it doesn't say she asked. It says this, when she saw the baby, she did two things. She gave thanks to God, and then she went off and told everybody what had happened. So here's the thing. Doesn't matter what we're waiting, doesn't matter what the circumstances are that we are waiting in. The waiting isn't about what's going on out there. The waiting is about what's going on here. And in both these women, we see people waiting humbly. People waiting humbly. People who say, I'm waiting for God not to do what I want him to do, but I'm waiting for God to do whatever he wants me to do. Because this isn't about me, it's about him. This isn't about me, it's about God and it's about the world around us. They waited humbly, both of them. They waited obediently. Isn't it amazing how different their two obediences were? The one was essentially an enforced obedience. She's pregnant. <laughs> She's gotta go through with it. Anna's obedience is an everyday. I've got to go to that temple today and I've got to fast. And I've got to pray. I don't know about you, but boy, that can get old real quick. 70 years of it? Imagine that. Imagine that. But they waited obediently. And finally, they waited selflessly. So I don't know if you can wait humbly and obediently and not wait selflessly. Folks, we, we, we make Christmas about us. And I think sometimes we take it out on the rest of the world because they're partying and we get grumpy because they're not using the right greetings or the right this or the right that. Because we're selfish. Christmas isn't about us. It's about the savior of the world and it's about the world that he loves and he came to save and it's our job to wait well because we are waiting for the Savior, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Redeemer of all mankind, the one of whom the scripture says, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. It's only three more days, it's only three. Imagine if we wait like these two women. Imagine if in the next three days we wait like them Imagine what people will say. Man, I want to know what they're waiting for because whatever they're waiting for must be amazing. It must be worth it. Why? Because just look how they are waiting. Let's celebrate our waiting. 
You see, because the great thing about our waiting is that we know what we're really waiting for. We know how this ends. We know that he dies and he rises again and he ascends so that we can live eternally with God. And amen at this point would not go amiss. See, that's what we're waiting for. Lord God, thank you for the magnificence of which we await. Lord, thank you. Thank you that right now we are waiting for the savior of the world. Lord, forgive me that sometimes my waiting is about me. That sometimes my waiting is about the world around me and my circumstances. Lord, I pray for every one of us in whichever way we are waiting, whether it is in joy or fear or wonder or pain or confusion, whatever it is, that we will learn to wait on you. And so Lord, as we, as we celebrate now, as we, as we wait for the birth of the one who later on in his life took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, broken for you. As we wait for the one who took a cup and said to his disciples, this is the new covenant in my blood. Lord, as we wait, may we wait well because we await the Savior. I'm inviting you to join me in this meal. If you know and love the Lord Jesus, you don't have to be a part of our church, you may be a visitor here, but if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, won't you, won't you join us in this meal? And won't you, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remind yourself what you're waiting for, irrespective of the circumstances that you're waiting, whether it's been a long or a short waiting, a hard one or an easy one, that every single one of us wait for the same thing, the Savior of the world. And so let's eat, drink, and worship with gratitude 